Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we are set to continue our reflections into the book of Genesis and in principle chapters 20 and 21. Now, I know I was at the end of chapter 19 as we were wrapping up our discussion last week, the shameful origin of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Of course, the Moabites and the Ammonites were the eastern neighbors to Israel. Uh, These were the nations that really showed themselves enemies of Israel during its Exodus journey. Again, I want to get into chapter 20 uh, this evening and chapter 21 tomorrow. Chapter 20 is a chapter where we are introduced to the prophet. We see the word prophet for the first time, and because of that, I received a question from you to talk about uh, the office of prophecy. So we will spend some time talking about the office of prophecy, because in reality, as we have the word prophet come up this evening for the first time, it's in relationship to Abraham, who is more, who fulfills the role of prophecy as more of a, a friend and intercessor. As it stands, because you asked, we will talk about the office of prophecy, among other things. So, that being said, if you want to turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 20, verse 1. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, there's that word again, behold, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you slay an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all that are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What were you thinking of that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought. There is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, 
This is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham and restored Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is your vindication in the eyes of all who are with you. And before every one you are righted. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Wow. <laughs> I mean, this whole chapter very much is uh, caught up in Abraham's sojourn in Gerar. And the episode shows God ensuring the fulfillment of his promises to Abraham by protecting his wife, Sarah, who, of course, will eventually bear him his son. Now, one of the things that I think catches our attention is some of the provocative details, but despite being taken into the royal harem, Sarah is untouched by Abimelech, right? And of course, delivered back safely to the patriarchs. Now, what is highlighted in these verses is what I already touched upon as relates to the power of who Abraham is as a prophet, defined as one who's predicting the future, or one who uh, has an oracle for us, not necessarily, but one who is an intercessor, one who is a friend, but fulfilling a part of what we might rightfully call his prophetic office. Now, this is language we see after Christ, but we could say that what we have going on in the Old Testament is in anticipation of what we have defined in, in the Catechism as a fulfillment of the prophetic office. What do I mean? Well, your question was, Joe, we have the word prophet seen for the first time in sacred scripture. What is its relevance, and how are we to understand our prophetic office? So if you were to turn to the Catechism, paragraph 904, we read, Christ fulfills this prophetic office not only by the hierarchy— but also by the laity. Okay, so a, a quote, by the way, that comes to us, just not from the Catechism, but the great document, Lumen Gentium. What is going on here? Well, Christ is fulfilling his prophetic office in the church, in the hierarchy, yes, but just not in its institutional dimension. You know, we often look at the church, and all we think about is the church as an institution, but the church is also the mystical body of Christ. And the mystical body of Christ is made up of just not clerics, but laity. This is something that the church has been trying to renew over the last 50 years. But also the laity. 904 continues, He accordingly both establishes them as witnesses and provides them with the sense of faith and the grace of the word. I love those two phrases there, the sense of faith and the grace of the Word. So we have this call before us to serve the poorest of the poor and to proclaim the good news, right? And we can do this with that sense of faith and the grace of the Word. The Catechism here highlights the words of St. Thomas Aquinas as a fulfillment of the prophetic office. To teach in order to lead others to faith is the task of every preacher and of each believer. 
This, my friends, had me thinking about that all-important spiritual work of mercy, instruct the ignorant. Instructing the ignorant is a fulfillment of our prophetic office. Really, we are called to enter into that all-important spiritual work of mercy by instructing the ignorant as a fulfillment of our prophetic office, as we hear from St. Thomas Aquinas the importance of teaching. Uh, Consider the word instruct. Instruere. Instruere. This is a word that literally translates as to build up, to pile up. In English, there's also uh, the notion of strewing something. So the idea here might be the strewing of hay or that seed has been strewn. So to instruct means to disperse knowledge or to build someone up in what is learned. Certainly this is what is at the heart of fulfilling our prophetic office specific to teaching. Now certainly these days when you hear the word ignorant and the phrase instruct the ignorant, you might react to that. The word ignorant is, is most often used in a negative or pejorative sense. I get that. And so to say that someone is, is ignorant, in contemporary terms at least, is to say someone is stupid or foolish. But more literally, and you know if you are a faithful listener to Seeds of Truth, what is literal to what a word means is very important, not just to me, but to the church and to revealed truth, right? So more literally and less pejoratively, we should say, the word ignorant simply refers to someone who does not know something. That basically, one simply does not know something and can benefit from instruction in the matter. And this is what is meant by the spiritual work of mercy, instruct the ignorant. I mean, could we not say, my friends, that all of us can benefit from proper instruction by those who know more about a certain subject or issue than we do? Yeah, there is something to be said about someone teaching us those core principles of math, teaching us those core principles of biology, teaching us those core principles of engineering. But my dear friends, it is an extraordinary work of mercy and a fulfillment of our prophetic office to confer knowledge that is essential towards our salvation. Now, speaking of instructing the ignorant as a spiritual work of mercy and and the fulfillment of our prophetic office, generally here two things are meant. First, because the intellect is a faculty of the soul, our human spirit is nourished by all instruction. Second, and more particularly, the church has in mind the kind of instruction that most benefits the soul. So instruction in religious truth rooted in the Holy Scriptures and rooted in the sacred tradition of the teachings of the church. Again, if secular teaching can benefit us unto worldly ends, how much greater than my friends? The benefits of religious instruction that has heavenly and eternal rewards. The goal of religious instruction is always to place someone into a living and saving relationship with God. That is the bottom line. Not just to simply know about the Lord, but to know the Lord, right? It is one thing for you to talk about Joe Holcraft in How I Might Appear to You. Now, he's about six foot one. 
He has blonde hair. It's getting a little gray, right? Weighs about 185, so on and so forth. You can describe me to someone, but are they going to get to know me? No. No, you have to encounter me. You have to spend time with me. And really, you could just probably listen to Seeds of Truth for a while and and probably talk to other people about me in a much deeper way than if you just saw me in person, right? Because over time, you've probably gotten to know me by way of the radio. The same thing can be said as it relates to teaching about Jesus Christ. And that is why to fulfill this teaching mode of the prophetic office that we have been baptized with, we must first encounter Christ. We must first have a personal encounter with the living, breathing Jesus Christ. And of course, we do this by invoking the presence of the Holy Spirit and abiding in that presence 24-7, 365. It is never enough to talk about the faith in some external sense. Go deeper, right? Go deeper. This certainly has proved to be beneficial through the years as it relates to instructing the ignorant. Uh, Okay, so that is paragraph 904. What about 905? Lay people also fulfill their prophetic mission by evangelization, that is, the proclamation of Christ by word and the testimony of life. For lay people, this evangelization acquires a specific property and peculiar efficacy because it is accomplished in the ordinary circumstances of the world. This witness of life, however, is not the sole element of the apostolate. The true apostle is on the lookout for occasion of announcing Christ by word, either to unbeliever or to the faithful. So what we are to be present to here is that, yeah, it has been said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That is a quote that has been attributed to St. Francis, although historically there's no verification of that. By the way, you've heard me use that quote before, um, that it's been attributed to St. Francis. But uh, historically speaking, we don't know that. There's no proof. Uh, And I say that because if we reduce all evangelization to just be at the service of the poor, that is a pastoral reductionalism. What do I mean by that? Well, what does Benedict XVI say? There is a threefold vocation that is before us, one that is rooted in our baptism. First and foremost, we are to worship God. Second, in the mode of existing for other, we are to serve the poor and to proclaim the good news. To proclaim the good news. What do we hear in Paul's letter to Rome? Faith is received by hearing. There is a proclamation to be had. What does Jesus say when he sends forth the twelve? Baptize and teach. Go, therefore, and proclaim the good news. In order for there to be evangelization, there has to be proclamation. Now again, yes, to be at the service of the poor is quintessential to the spiritual life and what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. But it can never stop there. There's so much more. There's the proclamation. And this is why we read in paragraph 905, we must be on the lookout. I love that phrase. Be on the lookout for occasions of announcing Christ by word, either to unbelievers or to the faithful. You have heard me talk about consecrating ourselves to 
Jesus and the importance of consecration, when you devote yourself to Jesus, be rest assured, my friends, he will give you opportunities to evangelize and to catechize. Speaking of catechize, (laughs) paragraph 906 reads, lay people who are capable and trained may also collaborate in catechetical formation in teaching the sacred sciences and in use of the communication media. I think what's important here is that phrase trained, right? (laughs) We don't go to a doctor who has not been trained in the sciences of medicine, right? That would be silly. And yet sometimes in the spiritual life, we go to quote-unquote teachers who are not trained in the spiritual sciences. My dear friends, let's appreciate the significance of revelation as a spiritual science. And I emphasize that because like any science, you need to spend time with it so as to then hand it on. You know, so many people today want to reduce faith to something that is purely subjective. Well, brothers and sisters, that is widely problematic because divine revelation is something that is objective. You cannot hand on the person of Jesus Christ if you have not first studied the person of Jesus Christ, right? So yes, we turn to those who are trained in the sciences of teaching the faith. And this is what we properly call catechesis. You know, in its more traditional sense, we talk about preaching and teaching. Well, what that is at its core is evangelization and catechesis. Two things that are different. Evangelization is that initial enthusiastic-filled proclamation of the gospel. And once someone has had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, they are then willing to go deeper personally entrusting themselves on a much deeper level with Jesus Christ and his church. And that personal entrustment involves catechesis. So evangelization is what comes first, and catechesis is what comes second. So making that distinction, my friends, I think is very important. So how about this last paragraph, 907, as it relates to the fulfillment of this prophetic office? In accord with the knowledge, competence, and preeminence, which they possess, lay people have the right and even at times a duty to manifest to the sacred pastors their opinion on matters which pertain to the good of the church. And they have a right to make their opinion known to the other Christian faithful with due regard to the integrity of faith and morals and reverence toward their pastors and with consideration for the common good and the dignity of persons. So let it never be said, my friends, that your opinion shouldn't be heard. What is so essential to this discussion is what is central to the much larger discussion of theology. That discussion where we are made vulnerable to one another in a very real, lively dialogue. Putting principles at the center of a discussion and allowing a very real dialogue to ensue. Not... I'm going to hear you and you're going to hear me and we'll just agree to disagree. No, I'm not talking about that. That discussion does not belong to any religious discussion. We can agree to disagree on whether or not Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback to ever play NFL. We can agree to disagree on whether or not Dustin Hoffman is the best actor in Hollywood. To agree to disagree on matters of revelation 
is widely problematic. And it's not to say that at the end of our theological dialogues and conversations, there needs to be immediate conversion. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is if truth is in the middle of the conversation, then we can arrive at a more fuller understanding of something. That again, in the moment of both evangelization and catechesis, we can arrive at a point of better understanding who Jesus Christ is, as opposed to leaving a conversation just frustrated because the person that I was talking with didn't hear what I had to say. We become vulnerable to one another by both speaking in a gentle manner and at the same time listening well, giving the person that is speaking to us the opportunity to share what they have to say, because it is then that we can properly respond to that person. Amen? Amen. You know, what does the word prophecy actually mean, but mouth or even big mouth? We use the phrase, don't be a big mouth. Well, in its historical context, that phrase was first coined because people did not want to hear the prophetic message of Jesus Christ. They didn't want the big mouth, right? They did not want to hear anyone who was a mouthpiece for God. So what did they say? Stop being a big mouth. Prophet literally means mouth or big mouth. So an interesting point to be had, right? If, if you are saying, don't be a big mouth, and you are responding to someone who is talking about the stuff of God, be careful that you are not, in fact, rejecting something prophetic, huh? That you are not rejecting something prophetic. All right, let us jump back into Genesis chapter 20. I know we spent some time talking about the prophetic office, but uh, not only was I responding to your question, but I, I do think it was important to consider that, especially in the light of Abraham. Abraham, who was a prophet, but a prophet defined as an intercessor and friend. I mean, consider everything that I just talked about as it relates to the office of prophecy. Now put all of that into the context of intercessor and friend, and hopefully our understanding of prophecy is all the more enriched. You know, we so often see the prophets in the Old Testament firing back at God, right? What do you mean this, or what do you mean that? They don't do that as one who is not a friend, or they don't do that as one who does not want to intercede. Certainly, in some cases, we see prophets run the other direction, but that's just a human fear. In the end, they do respond, and as they respond, they respond with great fervor and great righteousness, because the prayer of the righteous soul is powerful and effective indeed. What do we read in James chapter 5, verses 16 to 18? That when we go to God in prayer, and when our prayer is imbued with faith, and our prayer is filled with a sense of righteousness and holiness. It is powerful and effective. And certainly we could say this of the figure Abraham. What do we read in verse 17? Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So my friends, could we not say that the powerful intercession of Abraham has been on full display in these chapters? We saw it on more than one occasion with Lot. We saw it with Sarah, of course. And so here again, we are encountering it with Abimelech, his powerful 
righteous, effective intercession. Amen for the figure of Abraham. Okay, we are uh, out of time. If you have any questions, comments, uh, thoughts, observations, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com. Just send your message on its way. Or if you want to share with me how the book of Genesis has impacted you, I would love to hear you on that as well. And with your permission, take it to air. But uh, I'm not bound to that by no means. Um, If you share something with me only with your permission, will I share it on air? I I do think, though, sometimes um, when people hear the way in which other people are being impacted, it very much lifts them up, stirs them in their spiritual life, and so it can be a positive thing for sure. Okay, with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift to be able to reflect into the richness and beauty of your Word, this very rich chapter, chapter 20, in which you introduced to us the language of prophecy. And as we reflect into our own call to be a prophet, let us be reminded that a prophet is always an intercessor, the prophet is always a friend. So anchoring ourselves in these realities of friendship and and intercession, we are mindful of what it means to be a prophet, that we allow the figure of Abraham to be a model from which to follow. And we close by turning to Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.